Welcome to the Serve Conscious Podcast, where people and companies can learn the inner game of service and tap into the fullest power of the service opportunity. So join me and let's master the service mindset together and up-level service the world over. And I encourage you to check out my partner, the Institute for Organizational Mindfulness, which is on a mission to help people and companies to incorporate mindfulness into their culture and raise performance, efficiency, general happiness, and everything that we want from going to work. So link is in the show notes for you to go deeper into that as well as the mindful service movement. All right, let's get started. Hey there. So I don't know about you guys, but I don't like not knowing things. <laughs> I also don't like not being great at stuff either, right? And that can often be a really good driver for growth and learning, that passion to improve and become more knowing, more capable, etc., right? But it can also hold you back. Why? Because of our need to perform and our fear of not performing. The ego, the sense of self, the sense that we're okay and everyone approves of us, that goes under attack when we leave our comfort zone and begin to acquire new skills that don't look sexy as we fumble through trying to apply them, right? Along that path of development is failure, frustration, doubt in oneself, shame, possibly all of that fed by harshness or ridicule or criticism from others along the way, right? It doesn't sound like a very attractive process, but our taste for it is what determines success, especially confirmed by books like Mindset by Carol Dweck, which is a very useful way to look at the lifelong learning process. Basically, according to Dweck, and this is pretty confirmable across the board, those that succeed have a taste for this uncomfortable process, and those that I don't want to say fail, but just don't improve as much or even totally check out of the game and give up are ones that do not. Her findings combined with Anders Ericsson's, who wrote Peak and other great works around the psychology of expertise, confirm that based on this model, on these patterns of development, Natural talent is almost negligible. Not only that, it can be an obstacle because those that may show a certain aptitude for something will tend to get their ego wrapped up into that performative aspect of a skill. Looking good, confirming who they are, me, this naturally gifted person, reality cannot deny that truth. So every time there is a bad performance, it's almost too devastating to bear and a huge block to progress because someone in that position doesn't want to admit that they have weaknesses or areas to improve. So they'll just pretend it's not there and remain in their comfort zone, keep doing what they know they do well in that area. 
Carol Dweck calls this the fixed mindset. And the opposite, of course, would be the growth mindset. Growth mindset, people regularly blow by people with natural talent who are coasting and refusing to refine their skills because they feel entitled to success and are focusing mainly on individual performances rather than the learning process. Growth mindset people, their value system is not wrapped up in individual performances, but the whole process. And they measure success by how much they have improved via the effort they put in to skillfully improving. So this sounds a lot less egotistical, right? They're a lot less wrapped up in themselves and looking good and more part of this greater lifelong journey. Requires a certain humble commitment, right? It's funny, when I was reading the book and thinking about the fixed mindset, I was looking at all her examples of people with the fixed mindset, famous people, etc., who were maybe naturally good at something, but then became their own worst enemy and ultimately failed. A lot of them were guys, like reading a lot of the case studies. And I was like, is this just a guy thing, actually? This sounds like the male ego at play here. But apparently women can do it too. But I still wonder if the phenomenon of the fixed mindset is heavily weighted towards men. My guess is it's very male in certain areas where males' sense of identity is wrapped up in that. And maybe women have their own areas that they take their performance really seriously and their pride blocks their learning process. I don't know. If any of you listening are particularly schooled in the latest research on this area or just from your own experience have noticed a gender divide, I'm curious about it and how that works. But it's really not the intent of today's episode. I really just wanted to talk about how mindset fits into the service journey. And in thinking about this for some time and coaching people on it as well, the mindset around service that leads to success is definitely going to be growth mindset oriented, but has some other features that maybe aren't defined by Carol Dweck's mindset model. To sum up the framework and how it works in the psychology of somebody who is developing a skill set of some sort, the question of what you value is so important. And the growth versus fixed mindset is basically a definition of two very different value systems. One values learning, and the other values performance, the payoffs of learning. And those that want the payoffs more than they want the process do not get those payoffs as much as the process-oriented people, ironically so, right? You'll see this across the board. This has been written about by many people over the years, and I would also say centuries and millennia. And Carol Dweck somehow has captured the position of running this conversation. But if you look at anything that the Japanese do, from martial arts to flower arrangement, it's all with this extremely disciplined, process-oriented, egoless approach that is about the lifelong journey of development rather than 
performing in some way. So they're not calling it growth mindset, but baked into the entire recipe for success are principles that are the same as the growth mindset. One of them that comes to mind is Shoshin, which is Japanese for the beginner's mind. That humility required to say, I am always learning something new. I am a constant work in progress. It's just that in the West, I don't think that we've had these models to work with because we're so performance-focused. Developing the mindset to become continually great at something, and by that I mean great even after you've succeeded, because along the way there are plenty of signifiers of success that might tempt you to coast and rest on your laurels and say, I'm awesome, everyone look at me, rather than actually continually refine yourself, making it a lifelong journey as things are in Japan, where somebody doesn't consider themselves an apprentice anymore after maybe 50 years. (laughs) That isn't the default here in the West. We want the instant performance payoffs so that we can impress people because everyone wants to be impressed by each other, basically. So there's conditioning to break unless you're one of those rare people that were raised really thoroughly with the growth mindset, which is just not as common. And even if you were, the school system doesn't operate like that a lot of the time, nor does our workplace and any other circle that we might run in. There are exceptions, but it is not the norm, that is for sure. Dweck says it in our book, we actually fetishize natural talent. We like the idea that somebody is a superhero. And we will focus on that aspect of who they are and not the work that it took to get there. We want to see the finished meal. We want to see that beautiful piece of art in front of us. We don't want to see all the cooks sweating over it in the kitchen. We don't want to see all the dishes getting washed and all the, <laughs> all the grit and grime involved in putting it together, right? And that carries on into our own aspirations as well, perhaps. All the daily humdrum aspects of it, all of the unpleasant processes involved in refining little things bit by bit that we want to improve. In Peak, Anders Ericsson points out that actually natural talent is often an illusion. It's usually the result of the work someone's put in. They've just put in an unnatural amount of work, not only work, but really good practice habits with a really good state of mind. And you could say, well, maybe that's natural, your natural ability to practice with the right state of mind. Sure, maybe. Okay. Perhaps we have a certain potential, but either way, that potential is extremely malleable and totally in your hands. So for people in the world of service, I would say This is especially relevant if you don't think that you are naturally capable of serving. Everything is learnable. Social skills are learnable. I used to have social anxiety. I no longer do. That was simply some emotional wiring that had to be worked out. And then I didn't feel awkward and terrified around people. Maybe you don't feel like you care about people. You don't feel warm and fuzzy when you help them or make them happy. Compassion is a learned skill. All of these relational aspects of service are really interesting to look at because they are very natural. And, you know, when you look at uh, the growth mindset 
and the psychology of expertise, it doesn't give much credence to natural, quote unquote, because their view is that natural talent isn't relevant, right? It's all about what you put in. But when you are working to develop these capacities, you're not just getting them out of nowhere. You are actually reconnecting to what is natural, to being a human being. As it concerns compassion, as it concerns social skills, as it concerns any aspect of service and the desire to help another and get tremendous joy and fulfillment from that. That's a natural human faculty. And I think it's really encouraging to look at it like that. And I think that actually drives success because a lot of people won't find developing themselves and their service capabilities to be appealing because they don't think that they're wired that way. But what if the wiring was just dormant? Maybe just some abandoned farm field that's been overgrown and you just need to cultivate it again and it'll start to bear fruit. And whether or not it's actually natural when you're learning it, I don't think matters. What should be understood is that I think it's natural because it always turns out to be the thing that ultimately makes people happy and fulfilled. The ability to connect with others and serve. So there must be some really deeply embedded human programming there that we're accessing if something like service is one of the few things that actually makes us truly happy, like lasting happiness, not just temporary hits of dopamine. It's the thing that makes life meaningful. When all those success junkies are done striving and impressing themselves with their achievements, they turn to service because they've found that is truly incomparable in terms of deep fulfillment of their existence, right? It might look a little different than the kind of service the average service employee does on a daily basis, but the same principles are there. Being available to others and helping them any way you can. And another difference here, and I think this is really what makes service so fulfilling, is that you're not just developing a set of skills, right? If you want to become a master of the violin, you're learning a very contained set of skills. It's all very localized around certain motor functions and mental models, all funneling into playing the violin. Service is not just an individual skill or a set of skills even, though those are a key factor for sure. Service is also a state of being, or at least it's dependent on one. Your capacity to serve depends on your total health and well-being. And service done right from a mindful, empowered place contributes to that state of well-being and fulfillment. So it's not just the betterment of skills that is going to really make this a meaningful journey, but also just the opportunity to serve. And this must have to do with the fact that this journey doesn't just involve you. In looking at mindset and expertise psychology, 
it all kind of boils down to, okay, how is this person progressing on an individual level, even if the skills involve other people, right? Like, I want to, like, build surgery skills, right? So my growth is measured by how well my patients come out the other end of it, right? Patient success. But with the growth mindset, the value system is all around measuring how you improved those skills that help that person. But with the growth mindset applied to service, which I call the service mindset, your own growth is co-created by the people you serve, if that makes sense. So it's not just about your skill set but the impact you make in someone else's life. That has to be a factor. Otherwise, you're just looking at things as this mechanical and just maybe even just psychological process of self-mastery, which is fine, which is part of growth as a service professional. But also you need to understand that you're interrelated with others throughout this process. And how much that matters cannot be excluded from the equation from the conversation. And of course, you know, someone that's a surgeon who is growth-minded oriented is probably going to care about the well-being of their patients and is easily, completely a person of service. I'm just expanding the model here, saying that you can't talk about having mindset with service and it just being about you and your skill set. You're part of something much bigger than yourself. Simple as that. And I think this is a helpful perspective because getting great at something can sometimes be uh, an isolated process. It's lonely at the top, they say, right? So remembering that your journey is shared with all that you serve, I think, is really key to finding greater joy and fulfillment in it, and also continued progress. There's an article that explores this in more depth, which I've linked to in the show notes, but I'll just mention a couple of other points from it while I've got you here. What's important to understand is that service is not a contained skill. It's not something that you switch on and off. For example, if you are a professional basketball player, you are training in basketball within the bounds of training, and then you go home and you're a husband and a father or wife, perhaps. And you're also a friend and a son. It's definitely interwoven into your life, I am sure. Though there are times when you don't have to be working on being a better basketball player. Service is something that you never have to switch off. And in fact, if you don't, then not only does your life get brighter, but your capacity and skill at service will be refined. So for example, you don't need to leave the doors of your workplace, go home and think, all right, I'm now not going to be of service at all. <laughs> I'm not going to care for myself. I'm not going to care for others. That is only for when I'm getting paid. I used to think that it didn't get me very far. What got me far was realizing that service is a constant exchange and it is constantly a valuable state to be in. It doesn't mean always running around getting stuff for people, but it means always bringing that same quality of care and attention to everything that you do. Even if that means resting, there's simply no reason not to. With basketball, there are plenty of reasons to not be bouncing and shooting a ball in the house. I certainly learned that growing up, but there's always a place for some form 
of service. And the service-oriented moments outside of your work life and in your work life are interwoven. They're part of a continuum. And when you have the service mindset, that begins to be clear how all of those dots connect. On that note, somebody with the service mindset has a caring and loving quality to them because they know the value of that. And it's really important that that caring, loving quality is also aimed at oneself, which I've emphasized over and over again on this podcast and in the work I do with people. And that might be forgotten sometimes if all we're doing is thinking about ourselves as needing improvement, needing betterment, totally abandoning this sort of egotistical sense of ourselves. Well, also, we are a body and a mind that needs care and love. And actually, the more we invest in that, the better that we can serve. So the care and love aspects of service that you're mastering, they are never off duty, including with yourself. All right, that's enough out of me. Later, we'll talk about how to actually cultivate this mindset, but I do believe I've hinted at it in this episode. But stay tuned for more since I think this is an endlessly powerful topic to dig into and debate as well. So love to chat more with you guys about this. Check out the website www.serveconscious.com for more free content, lots of guided practices, past episodes, all kinds of tools to transform your service game from the inside out. Also get on that mailing list so you can get access to the live workshops on building your service superpowers and also the five-day mini course, which will give you a lot of really powerful ways to start accessing your service superpowers today. All right. Thanks so much for listening. You have a great day. Bye-bye.